This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Also, check out the Athletic Baseball Show all this week. It's great listening, and hey, that's where you find us every Tuesday. So, let me introduce myself. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic. Once again, joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Lanville. And Doug, before we get to our special guest, the Olympian, Todd Frazier, I could have sworn I actually saw you in Chicago over the weekend. (laughs) Like, isn't that the first time in two seasons of doing Cubs games for the Marquee Network that you've actually been to Chicago? (laughs) <laughs> it is the first time I, I've literally not been here since I guess it must be the 2019 season. And uh, <laughs> so I, I worked through 2020 on Zoom, Skype, I guess. And yeah, yeah I, 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 I've never been in the studio. There's people who are producing that I've never met before. Wow. <laughs> so so uh, it was it was like a family reunion mixed with like a barbecue or something. So, uh, but yeah. yeah, it was a great time. Yeah. Good. You know, like what an incredible commentary on in the last 15 months. Uh, I had, I was in that same club. I set foot on a big league baseball field last week myself for the first time in 15 months and talk to actual fellow humans in uniform. I I keep thinking this is like waking up from a really strange dream. You ever had that feeling, Doug? <laughs> yeah, it's surreal. It is surreal. I, I try to imagine, you know, I'm at Wrigley and there's 40,000 fans and it's like 100 degrees out. But, you know, people were, you know, euphoric. I mean, they just were so happy to be there. And, you know, just had some great moments in the game. Anthony Rizzo fouls off, you know, 10 pitches and a 14-pitch yeah. at bat. Uh, yeah, so it, it just sort of brought to light how much the fans, first of all, matter and how important it is to the fans to just be able to physically be there. You just can't replace that feeling, especially with baseball, because it's, it's got that, you know, the conversation that's around baseball is, is like no other. Yeah, it's important for all of us. Again, just as humans, not just as baseball fans. Uh, All right, before we let Todd Frazier start spinning his tremendous tales about the Olympic baseball team and other Todd Frazier stuff, uh, we have to talk about the two biggest words in baseball these days. And and Doug, by that, of course, I mean spider tech. (laughs) Two months ago, I would have thought... That was some funky insect I found in my basement. But no, it turns out it's this super glue kind of stuff that pitchers have been using on their fingers 
to make baseballs do the wildest tricks ever. Um, it's been some amazing, <laughs> amazing work in the athletic, uh, looking at this whole issue, looking at spider tech. Stephen Nesbitt last week talked to the inventor of spider tech, who had no idea any of this was going on in our sport. Uh, but, but this issue blew up again last week, thanks to, let's say, three people. Uh, two were Garrett Cole of the Yankees and Josh Donaldson of the Twins. Uh, the third was Pete Alonzo of the Mets. So I think we should talk for a couple minutes about what those guys were up to. Uh, start with Cole and Donaldson. Uh, here would be a little timeline. Uh, that two weeks ago, four minor league pitchers got suspended by baseball for using glop on their hands. Uh, it raised a little bit of a stir. Uh, then right after that, Garrett Cole goes out to pitch against the Rays. This would have been like about a week and a half ago. And his spin rates go down noticeably. And he, he gives up five runs in five innings. So here, here is the details on his spin rate in that game. Fastball drops by 125 RPMs. That's a lot on the four-seamer. Uh, the... The curveball and change, uh, under 100, about 77, 78. Uh, the slider, a little less than 50. This is all according to StatCast. And so Garrett Cole asked about this, said just, just command issues, which he has actually had some command issues. Uh, but then, again, we're still recapping. Uh, the Yankees go to Minnesota. They're about to face the Twins. Josh Donaldson plays for the Twins. Josh always has thoughts. So uh, here is the the way he raised this. He said, is it coincidence that Garrett Cole's spin rate numbers went down after four minor leaguers got suspended for 10 games? Is that possible? I don't know. Maybe. At the same time, with this situation, they've let guys do it. So... That was Josh Donaldson on Garrett Cole. Now we get to the day before Garrett Cole's start against the Twins. He does his pre-start Zoom. Uh, the New York Post Ken Davidoff asks him specifically if he had ever used spider tack. Doug, I want you to listen to how this answer went. And have you ever used spider tack while pitching? Um. I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if. Uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that. To be honest. Um, I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players, and. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. Alrighty then, uh, he didn't Ooh. say a word there for six seconds, <laughs> and then he said, "I don't quite know how to answer that." Uh, all right, Doug, you've answered a lot of questions in your day yeah. from people like me and Ken Davidoff. I, I would say, you know, just judging by the buzz out there a lot of people interpreted that as Garrett Cole essentially saying 
You got me. I'm guilty. I just can't say I am. But what was your reaction? Yeah, I mean, I had the same feeling that, um, you know, with that kind of pause, he's thinking about the consequences of what he's about to say. And he wants to be truthful, but he also is sort of, quote, consulting his lawyers, right? <laughs> so to speak, yeah. like, should I say this? And um, so, I, you know, it's just this one straightforward question that yielded such a convoluted and confusing answer. And I think that, once again, sort of leads you to believe certain things. And, you know, his comments about the generational, you know, I mean, it was somewhat of a diversion. But, yeah, there are traditions and people pass down a lot of things, some of which are stories that are hilarious and some of which are like how to, you know, use, <laughs> you know, certain substances, right? I mean, it's just... You know, and look, the thing that was so compelling about, you know, you read a lot, this read a lot this week about even foul balls found in the dugout. So Stephanie Epstein talked about in her SI article about the the substances found on these balls. I mean, not only it was it was like spider tack, gorilla glue, you know, like <laughs> molasses. I mean, you know, who knows what's going on? So it's, you know, so when I played, I remember you find a baseball foul ball, you get the foul ball, you look at it in the dugout and, and there's swirls on it and scuffs. And I mean, this is not like, you know, this is not hard to find evidence, right. Of, of something that, and it's just not hard. So <laughs> you can't, especially in today's day and age, you can't treat people like they don't know what they're talking about, or there's, there, there's no evidence to just find, especially when you're an opponent and you're playing against someone that, you know, you know, and I think that's sort of what, why it's harder for players to either speak out of it at all, unless you're going to be really forthright about it. And I think it's still very fraught waters to him for him or anybody as a pitcher to be straightforward. And that's a problem. Yeah. There, Hey, there is evidence. Okay. Uh, teams have been collecting these baseballs. Major league baseball has been collecting these baseballs. Uh, Joe Girardi told me the other day uh, on the field in Philadelphia that um, he has personally taken a look at certain baseballs throughout this year and there's been a lot of that going on um and people in front offices have told me in the last week that uh major league baseball told the owners at that owners meeting two weeks ago that they had collected evidence via baseballs and via video that implicated pitchers on all 30 teams Everyone. Okay. Yeah. So like, don't do this thing where, uh, that th those guys are doing it, but we would never do it. Everybody is doing this. Um, and that's why it has become a growing thing. We're just waiting for the crack town, but let's get back to Garrett Cole and Josh Donaldson, because that saga didn't end with Garrett Cole's answer. The next night, Garrett Cole pitched. And who came marching up the bat three times in that game? Josh Donaldson, of course. How'd that go? Uh, he went 0 for 3 against Cole. Two strikeouts. And two fastballs over 100 miles an hour. Those are two of the fastest pitches Cole threw all night were to Josh Donaldson. Uh, also, I checked the spin rates. Uh, they were back up to about where they'd been on average all season. It was an interesting little epilogue. So again, Doug, your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's, um, 
you know, Cole kind of framed it like, yeah, it might have been a little extra something, you know, paraphrasing, of course. <laughs> might have been. And uh, yeah, but, you know, at the same time, it's it's the body of work. And I think that is the sort of underlying story of a lot of this. Like, And I, I love Donaldson's quote about how, um, you know, and I kind of, you know, I want to get it right here. I don't know if we, we have it, but uh, what his quote was, you know, just think about how many pitchers, pitches I've seen in my career. Think about Nelson Cruz. A lot of these guys who have seen a lot of pitches, we know when stuff's up. All right. So now, you know, is that evidence, you know, not maybe hard evidence in a court of law. But what's important to understand about spin rate and all these things is that it's the it's the speed by which change is happening, whether Trevor Bauer and his 500 RPM in four years or whatever. It's the speed at which it's happening. And what happens with spin rate is, you know, like if you take a four seam fastball, these hitters are swinging under, under the ball. And that to me says that they're anticipating where the ball is about to be. And they're, they're sort of miscalculating it consistently with these higher spin rates. And, and so a lot of it is familiarity. So, but if you stayed consistent over say 20 years, a, a generation of players, and I saw a spin rate be in the same realm, I would kind of understand how to anticipate where balls are going to end up. It's like it's like uh, Scott Spezio hitting against Jenny Finch in softball and why he couldn't hit it until he saw it. He had to see it over and over again. And what's happening in baseball is they're finding ways to continue to change it. They're changing the axis of the spin. They're changing, and so you're effectively facing a different pitch every every time you see the same fastball for a guy, which is like 30 different fastballs. And, and I think that's where the imbalance of competition is coming through the spin rate. And, and Donaldson's making a point like, look, it's like the steroid era. Like, I'm sorry, like you watch batting practice. You're, nobody wakes up and then starts hitting balls across the field in Wrigley Field on top of the Bud Riser roof. I mean, it, it's cool to watch, but you, you're, your history, it's like I always say seeing is disbelieving. You, you have enough evidence in your experience to realize that something is an aberration. And maybe they're Shohei Atani and they're just so incredible, but most likely they're not. You know, we're all, we've been in this, we're all good players. We all can hit fastballs, all that stuff. So, you know, it, it's, I think it's out of control in the sense of not only taking that science, but then adding all these extra things and people are getting greedy. They're getting greedy and it's as a result changing not only over the course of a slow trajectory, but it's changing literally pitch by pitch. And that's why you have a huge problem. That was spelled out so well. Um, you know, you're exactly right. Uh, we should never forget, we're talking about the best hitters in the world, and they can't hit, <laughs> okay? Like they see pitches they've literally never seen before, and they miss these pitches by a foot, by two feet. The best hitters in the world. Um, and I, I, I understand that a lot goes into that. Um, there's still greatness. Um, you know, there's always been greatness. There always have been pitchers who have been at a level that no one before them had been at. No one in their time had been at. No one who came after them had been at. I think that's still going on with guys like DeGrom and Otani. I do. But when you add in technology, when you add in information about we know what pitches you can hit and where you can't hit them, when we add in spider tack, 
then you've got a completely different situation on your hands. Uh, what's uncomfortable about this is that I think that it's unfolding in the middle of a season um, that baseball has gone from kind of closing its eyes, pretending nothing was nothing was new here, to, oh, we're collecting baseballs and we'll do something about it at some point, to it's like one of these days, uh, like you're not going to have a Joe West goes rogue situation. Umpires are going to start marching to the mound and confronting pitchers about what's on their glove or what's on their pants or what's on their belt or what's on their cap. And I don't know what's going to happen then, but it's happening in the middle of a season. And so isn't this why this particular moment in time is so turbocharged? It is. It was turbocharged also because we're coming off of 2020. And 2020 was scary. It was shortened, obviously. And it's scary for pitchers in particular because they know they're going to go into a season where they haven't thrown a full season and, and they're, they're rationing and they're not sure can they make it through a full year. They know about the home run plague. They know about – and they're doing everything they can to get advantage more, more than even necessary, more than normal. It's working. And it's working. It's absolutely <laughs> working. And there's already tons of advantages as it is. And, and look, this should not be a surprise in our history of baseball, right? You put a bunch of hyper-competitive people in the room, the best in the world, and you get beautiful things. You do. You also get insecurity at a compounding level where people will do anything to maintain their career, to get paid, to get an advantage. And what you're getting with the speed of information is also a paranoia that it's like the Astros, like, what, oh, what are they doing? Then you don't just try to match them, you exceed them because you're saying, well, I, I don't know what they're doing, so I'm just going to go as far as I can. And so you're getting, you know, spider tech, gorilla glue, whatever you're using, because it's not enough. It's not enough to just have pine tar and sunscreen or whatever, right? Everybody, I mean, come on, this this went on since the beginning of time. I watched pitchers spray their whole arm with all kinds of stuff and, you know, and use it. I mean, come on, come on. Yeah. I mean, oh, this, yeah. right. So, I, and look, I appreciate what Pete Alonzo said about, look, I don't want guys throwing 110 miles an hour and not have a grip on the ball in April. I, I mean, I, I do get it. But once again, it's it's the greed, it's the it's the extra and the insecurity overlapping. And and so when you have all that, and then you're celebrating players in a certain way, it's hard to let go of that. And like, like look, I'm guilty of it too as in an analyst. And and I try to use more, okay, is this guy a great player or is he a great performer? Because there's two different things. Being a great performer is different. Like you could do whatever you're gonna do. But if you don't celebrate a guy like Adam Frazier, who who's like He's just a, a great hitter this season. And yes, he only has two home runs. And yes, he but he puts the ball in play. Like, if that's not what you're rewarding in the game, or that's not what you value, yeah, then you're going to get power on power. And power is going to always try to find ways to invade power and, and so and, and beat the other side. And, and so there's a lot of things that create this. But it's here. And we're facing... What is it, you know, another kind of steroid sign stealing situation. And I think baseball is terrified of that because the best players in the game, best pitchers in the game are on board with this. And it's because of that, you're already losing a lot of credibility from the previous era 
So, you know, and they're, and these errors are getting awfully close together. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we got to do something about it. Yeah. Uh, all right. One more quick thing before we bring in Todd Frazier. Um, since, especially since you mentioned that phrase, get paid. Uh, this spider tack substance story took one really weird turn last week uh, when Pete Alonzo of the Mets was asked what he thought about it. And he had pretty much the oddest take on this uh, I've heard. Okay, <laughs> He said, uh, I think the biggest concern is Major League Baseball manipulates the baseball year in and year out depending on free agency class or guys being in an advanced part of their arbitration. That's what Pete Alonzo said. All right, so let me get this straight. Major League Baseball prints out a list of all the biggest free agents coming up that next winter, and then somebody sneaks into the Rawlings factory and reprograms the baseball-making machine to keep those free agents from getting paid. Okay. Doug, you have hit those Rawlings baseballs. Does that seem like a pretty plausible theory? In in a conspiracy world, yes. And, and we are in a conspiracy world, so I, I, I give yeah. Pete a little bit of a hall pass right now because it, it the information out there is 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 like this. And and I also think it underscores a serious lack of confidence in that relationship between players and owners. And look, have owners done nefarious things since the dawn of the game? Absolutely. Would they go to great lengths to do things that are completely uh, unfair and, and just shady? Yes, they would. Sure. It, throughout time. And, and would players cheat and put Gorilla Gru on baseballs? Apparently so. So I don't know if anybody has the moral high ground in that sense, but obviously the industry is driven by you know ownership's decisions and they have the ability to do it in mass. So it's more of a believability that they would do this than it is a maybe a truth. And all the more reason it makes me concerned for like 2021 negotiations for, for collective bargaining. <laughs> uh, I think it's just, there's just a lot of miss and distrust. And, uh, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't think they're likely going to go to that detail to, you know, <laughs> doctor baseballs up. Uh, but yes, would they come out of a strike and say, Hey, we need something good for the game to bring fans back and do some extreme things. Yeah, they probably would. So, um, so once again, believability isn't necessarily truth, but, um, but I think it's a conversation about that relationship that uh, needs to be discussed further because you need a good relationship to negotiate in good faith. You are exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, and, and there are just too many conspiracy theories in this sport right now, in those clubhouse about what the other side is up to. Uh, do I think the baseball itself is an issue? Yeah. I think spider tack is an issue. I think distrust is a huge issue. But Major League Baseball reconfiguring the ball itself to keep the next year's free agents from getting paid, that is not one of the issues. <laughs> okay. okay, that's all I got on that for now anyway. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Hey, Doug, I'm not sure if you have a flag handy, but we should really be waving one as we welcome in this week's very special guest. It's the pride of Tom's River, New Jersey. And now, an Olympian, it's Todd Frazier. Todd, thanks for joining us here at Starkville. Anytime, man. How you guys doing? All right? Yeah, we're awesome. Not as good as you, though. <laughs> hey, let, let, let's fill people in on how your life has changed just in the last week or so. Like, you just finished an incredible run for Team USA. You guys won the, the America's Qualifier Tournament, which qualifies you for the Olympics, gets the United States back in the Olympics for the first time since 2008. So how does that sound when people like me call you an Olympian? It sounds awesome. <clears throat> I mean, people dream about this stuff. They they work four years for it, and uh, it's been another adventure to get there. And for me, it took uh, it took about two weeks. I, I think I pinch myself every day. And yeah, it's um, it, it was awesome. Mike Socia was our manager. We had a great group of guys um, from veteran guys to younger guys come through. And uh, baseball is a big fraternity, and uh, you can bring twenty six guys together for three weeks. And crazy things can happen and great things can happen. And that's what exactly happened. Hey, Todd, I know your wife was a great gymnast. Uh, I'm sure she once thought that she'd make it to the Olympics a long time before you, <laughs> right? So is she jealous? Uh, no, nah, she might be. I mean, we talk about it all the time. We, we watch it every year that it comes on. Um, I know she had dreams and aspirations of being an Olympian and, and being a gymnast there. But um I'm going to rub it in a little bit because I'm going to be front row and center now watching it. So, uh, you know, there might be a little jealous factor, but at the end of the day, I think she's just proud I'm going there and representing the United States. Hey, why don't you tell us about that uh, final game for Team USA against Venezuela? I, incredible game. Must-win game. You're facing Annabelle Sanchez, who I saw almost pitch a no-hitter in the NLCS two years ago in St. Louis, and you go four for four. With a huge home run, you're rounding the bases. The crowd is chanting, USA, USA. Can you describe that night and that moment? Oh, it was great. You know, well, we first played Nicaragua and all these other teams. We know every team we play. When you play for Team USA, you know, everybody wants to come and get you and, and you know, knock you off the throne pretty much. And, uh, you know, once we faced Venezuela, we knew – if we win, we're in. We knew if we lost, we had to go to Mexico to try again. And for us, uh, we were determined to win. Man, we had we had great guys that that understood their role, and, and that's the biggest thing. Understanding your role in a short period of time is pretty hard to do. Um, but the crowd was unbelievable. Uh, every pitch, everybody was into, and uh, it, it was so cool. Uh, the chanting going on from the Venezuelan side and our side. I was pumping the crowd up. Uh, Felt like I was back in high school again. It was such a good feeling. Yeah, that that trip around the bases with the crowd chanting, you gonna remember that for the rest of your life? Something. Yeah, I'll I'll never forget that. I mean, playing major league baseball is, is a first and foremost dream. You know, getting a game winning hit, making the big plays. You know, walk off homers, and then you know to represent the United States in the biggest stage in the world. I mean, that that's top of the list, man. It's gonna be so cool. And then it should be icing. It could be icing on the cake for me, bringing home a gold medal. I mean, that would be even better. Yeah. And Todd, what what are some of your early memories about the Olympics? You know, sometimes you, know, you look back, and you know whether it's like USA hockey, you know, miracle on ice. And do you have any memories of Olympics to sort of connect it to where you are now? 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes in my head was Carl Lewis. I mean, I was really young, don't get me wrong, but he's a Jersey guy. So I think he won five or six events and dominated that one year. Um, you know, the hockey team, like you said, uh, the gymnastics. We got a guy on the team, speed skater, Eddie Alvarez. I mean, he won silver. He's got so he needs to get a little revenge going back to the Olympics. <laughs> the fence are just so cool, and uh, maybe hopefully, if there's no restrictions, I'll get to go to a couple of. Yeah, Todd, how did you wind up on Team USA? Like you were still playing for the Pirates in the big leagues, only a few weeks ago. So, did they call you after you got designated? Did you or your agent approach them? Like it happened fast. Didn't you go from the Pirates to Team USA in like two days? Paul Siler, the acting CEO of uh, Team USA. We always keep in touch. When I got uh, released from the Pirates, he called me like an hour after. He said, you're on the team. You know, you know you're not on the 40-man. Wherever you're at, you're on our team. You're our number one pick. I said, dude, I'm in. And uh, I got called up by the Pirates, and he gave me a text. He says, good luck. You know, we still love you. Blah, blah, blah. And then I got released a week, pretty much two weeks before practice started for the team. I called him right away. I said, listen, better still be an opening i want in and uh, he said praise anything for you uh we still want you you're still on our radar and uh that's how quickly it happened i went down as quick as possible to stay in shape and uh lo and behold i'm here now <laughs> yeah you are and all right let's let's talk about that tournament um how much pressure was there in that tournament? Uh, USA hasn't won a gold medal since 2000. Uh, already failed to qualify once. Not that you're part of that team in 2019. Did this feel like a playoff series, except every game was game seven? started with Mike Sosa telling us, listen, it's just a game. You know, he wanted everybody to be relaxed. Listen, it's another day. It's another game. You guys know how to play. Go out there and give you your best shot. And uh, I was kind of rallying the troops before the game, you know, get them in a circle and explaining them let's dominate today this is our house you know uh we got this everybody stay in the, the lane you're supposed to play the game that you do don't try and do too much you know take the little hits as they come and the big ones will come at the end and um it, it was i mean we opened up against nicaragua and you know honestly they had more fans there than we did uh and i think that that kind of helped us a little bit but you, I, I didn't know there's that many nicaraguan people living in port st louis so they came out of the woodwork this year at Tiermont. I think that's awesome, man. It goes to show you the pride that, you know, these other countries have in their in their teams. And, uh, you know, we, we had our crowds there. Don't don't get it twisted. But we, uh, you know, that first game was unbelievable. Well, you you know, you've played the Game 7. You played in Game 7 of the, was it 2017 ALCS Yankees-Astros? Yeah. How, how would you compare this to that Game 7? I would say it was pretty darn close, to be honest with you. Wow. Especially uh, the, the Dominican game and the Venezuelan game. Um, it was just nonstop cheering, um, yelling at umpires. That's a strike. You know, every single pitch, you know, you thought it was a strike. They thought it was a ball. We're screaming left and right. The umpires, you know, I give them credit. Honestly, listen, I give them credit. And, Todd, what about the, the clubhouse, like the camaraderie, the teamwork? What's the difference when you're – considering an Olympic, you know, outcome versus, okay, maybe winning a World Series, winning a championship. How do the locker rooms differ? You know, that's a really good question. I think I'll put it to you this way. So game seven uh, for the Yankees, uh, everybody was focused, uh, you know, not much talking. We, we kind of knew, like, guys, right, this is what our game plan is. We had meetings. We went over the pitcher. Uh, we went over what defenses we wanted to do. Now, 
Olympics, we're sitting there listening to, you know, some music to pump us up. We're joking around. We had no video, no analytics. Um, <laughs> go out there, see the ball, hit the ball. Let's see what the pitchers got. Talk to each other about what's going on. We're not worried about spin rate. We're not worried about, <laughs> you know, where he's throwing, what angle, anything. Just get up there, dig in, grit your teeth, and go dominate. And that old school way, I love every second of it, and I – I, I pride myself in it and build off of that for sure. Oh my God, it was retro. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Let's go. I know. You know, you guys play some wild games in that tournament too. I, I got to ask you about that the, the first round game against the Dominican. You just mentioned it. You kind of got your manager ejected, right? <laughs> I, I know not really, but you, you, it like looks like you hit a home run. You do the bat flip thing, then the umpires call it foul. Mike Sosha, we was not that pleased. Yeah, so I'll tell you the whole story. Basically, I hit the home run. It was definitely fair. It actually it went around the foul pole, but the foul pole wasn't high. I hit a real high homer. Umpire called it foul. We're complaining. So the rule is, like in Major League Baseball, you can ask for a review on a foul ball, home run, but even if you lose, you still keep your review intact, you know? And the home plate umpire, I guess, forgot, and Tosha was trying to tell him, listen, you know, the umpire called a foul, whatever. He came out, and the guy said, don't come near me, you know, don't come near me. He threw him out, but he was trying to explain to him, (laughs) you know, we still get that review, and he said, no, you don't get the review anymore. And he was real nice, real polite about it. And I was trying to explain to him, and he's yelling at me to get in the box. I said, all right, whatever. Get in the box. And then afterwards, they came up to us and said, listen, the officials, we would have came out of the stands and said, listen, he does get the review, and uh, he would have messed up. That could have been a, a big play in the game. We needed a review late in the game. So it, it's just crazy stuff. And the crowd's yelling. It was, it was, it was fun. It was crazy. I bet. But I, I wonder how that compared to the Canada game. That was a really nutty play. Okay, if I if I heard this right, a ball got stuck on the top of the fence. Uh, you have you guys have a runner on first, and the umpire allows your runner to score from first. And then there's a 26 minute delay while they try to sort it out. Yeah. You ever been part of anything like that? No, not at all. So I, I before this we even started, I told these guys because I played this my third one. Like I said you're going to see some of the craziest stuff that happens in baseball in the Olympics because the rules are different. Uh, everything is just totally out of whack because listen, if you don't win, you're not moving on. So you're going to try everything and do everything. So this kid, Tristan Cassis, who's a really good up and coming star for the Red Sox, hits a, a scud missile to right. I don't know how it landed on the top of the wall and stuck there. Like there was sticky glue or something there. <laughs> But the guy, the guy went and grabbed it. So that's that's the problem they were having. They said, "Listen, it should be a ground rule double because the ball was dead." You know, and what I I assumed, I put it to Wrigley Field, and these kids are like, "What do you mean Wrigley Field?" I'm like, "All right, never mind." Because when the ball goes in the ivy, if you go and get it, yeah, it, it, the ball's in play. So they're like, they're like, "What ivy?" I'm like, "All right, I'll go talk to Matt Kemp and explain to him." And we were laughing about the whole situation. But yeah, it just took. They put it under protest, and they I guess they had to go look at it again while I was under protest. Wow. So, so you and Doug both played in the big leagues for a long time. Have you ever seen a ball get stuck on the top of a fence, <laughs> either of you? No, no. I've seen a ball get stuck on a catcher's equipment with Yadier Molina the one right, time. Yeah. I've seen uh, – uh, I saw the other day a, 
a guy missed the catch as a catcher and the ball went in uh, the umpire's pocket on his, on his chest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I, I've never seen, I've never seen a ball get stuck on the top of the wall no. uh, like that in my life. So it, that's why baseball is the most fascinating and unbelievable sport in the world. I think. Yeah, I mean, that's, Doug, ever? Yeah, I mean, that's why we have this show. That's what we focus on. <laughs> the things that never happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. In the pads, I've seen exactly. balls get stuck in the pads, like the, the theme of the pad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Kevin Jordan, you know, a teammate of mine, hit an inside the park home run at Wrigley for that reason. The outfielder reached in, and, and they tell us the ground rules, and that Wrigley is definitely the place where you say these are truly ground rules. And before the game, we always <laughs> talk about do not reach in the ivy, put your hands up. And this yep. guy went in there, and Kevin Jordan, who's not exactly fast, uh, cruised to a four bagger inside the park. So uh, you learn those things early on. All right, okay, fi- the, the final game. Last ball of the night gets hit to you. You always going to remember that ground ball? Without a doubt. And, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is when Homer Bailey, who was on the team as well, um, threw a perfect or a no-hitter. Uh, and same thing happened. The ground ball was hit to me, and I felt like I've never thrown a ball to first in my life, and I kind of just, like, lobbed it over there. And that's what I did on this last one. I'm like, just get it there. You know, the guy wasn't overly fast, and – uh it was great. You know, I got to, you know, Dave Robertson right there, another ex-teammate. We looked at each other excited and uh, probably one of the better games I've had in a couple of years. I was real proud of myself, to be honest, and, uh, you know, excited for our country to move on. Yeah, Todd, I mean, and Jason and I were talking a lot about just your, your life in general. And, uh, you know, I called it like, you know, baseball Americana, right? I mean, you've really checked boxes that even if you can't predict them, so many kids, so many people yeah. admire about our sport. I mean, what what has that journey been like? I mean, you know, I'm from Jersey, so I get it. You know, you have Little League World Series. You have, uh, you know, you, you marry an athlete from Rutgers. And, of course, Rutgers, a lot of my friends went to Rutgers. Uh, you know, talk me through how that's been. You hit, you know, home run derby off your, your brother. I mean, come on, man. Like, did you script this? Or is this like, do you ask yourself, like, how is this possible? It's funny because as a baseball player, you, you look back on your career and you think about the numbers that you put up. And, you know, at the end of the day, my average wasn't the best, um, you know, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, RBIs were OK. Everything was pretty average. I, I had some above average stuff. But, you know, you look back, you everybody's like, oh, man, look at the back of the baseball card. Of course, that's a, that's the first and foremost thing you do. You know, I hit over 200 home runs, 218 to be exact. Um, but. When I go through my career, and like you said, the boxes that I've checked off, home run derby, um, Little League World Series, Olympian, uh, played for the New York Yankees and the Mets. I mean, that's, it's something little, but where we're from, that's a, big, that's a big deal because I got friends on both sides, and they both loved me and hated me at the same time <laughs> in the last three years, which was, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, there's a lot more that I've done and uh, hitting 40 home runs in, in a season. Yeah, I mean, I do. I pinch myself a lot. You know, hopefully at the end of the day, uh, I helped a lot of other people too. And I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated too by the, um, the, the, the comparison of this experience to those experiences. Uh, you know, look at your team. You've got guys on your team who've played in the big leagues, who've played in October. Edwin Jackson, John Jay won a World Series. You mentioned David Robertson, pitched in so many big games. Matt Kemp, Homer Bailey, Logan Forsyth. What does this experience mean 
to all those guys? I, I tell you what, it, it was when we sat and ate lunch because we we're in this bubble, uh, what they call, and we were like, honestly, we we would talk about the good old days, but we were like little kids, man. I think we were we were just we were just so happy to be part of a group again. I, we had our first meeting, and and Sosha, uh, this is a funny story. Sosha asked Tim Fedorovich. He said, you play with Forster, right, man? You know, tell us something. Tell us something good about him. And he's like, oh, well, he's a good hitter off the bench. And we all started laughing. I guess that was the first thing that came to mind. And next thing you know, he, he, he came off the bench for us and went two for two and had a big hit the first game or, or, the, or the second game or whatever it was. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it was pretty cool. And everybody was laughing. Everybody got along. You know, we played cards after the games. Uh, we hung out by the pool and – it, it was just, it was such a cool event. And I think for the older guys, it meant that much more because, you know, either we're on our way out or we're done playing. I think that, that we'll cherish that uh, even more. Yeah. And how about some of the young guys you played with? There are a bunch of top 100 prospects on that roster. Cool. Which of those young guys really opened your eyes? Wow. I mean, uh, I, I, there's a couple. I mean, the shortstop, Nick, Nick Allen, I think he's with the Oakland A's. Yep. This kid has some of the best hands I've seen from a youngster in a long time. When he understands that all he has to do is get singles and pepper the ball the other way when it's taken, he's going to be fine. But this kid made some unbelievable plays. Uh, Luke Williams, left fielder, stud, our leadoff guy, quick when he gets on base. Um, he's electric. Uh, Jaron Duran, oh, my God. This guy, I told him, I, he kept telling me, I'm going to be a gnat on the bases. I said, that's perfect. I said because I hate Nats and I want them off. The, I want them out of there. So he's, uh, he's he's well above his age. And uh, Tristan Costas, Costas, you know, just to name a few. Um, Libator, our, our starting left-handed pitcher, who's going to be a stud. Um, you know, we have a bunch of kids that are playing well above their age and their years, and uh, we're going to be talking about them for a lot of years to come. All right, just just to review, uh, Libator, Cardinals, uh, Luke Williams, Phillies. Uh, Cassis and Duran, Red Sox. Good scanning report there from Todd <laughs> Frazier. Good work. <laughs> yes, GM. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, Todd, you know, one thing I'm curious about with, you know, you mentioned these different milestones. Uh, it's, it's almost like a, a life plan question. Are you a goal setter? Do you say, like, I want to do this? I think of Shohei Otani, who literally mapped out his life before the Angels. Remember, he signed, and then he had, like, I'm going to throw a perfect game. I'm going to get married. I'm on my second child. I mean, he literally mapped it out. Uh, is that something you do? And and if so, like, what would you envision next? I know you're trying to get the medal, but, I mean, I because I, I'd vote for you to plant the American flag on Mars when we land. I would actually choose you to do that. I think you'd be the perfect person for that. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I never mapped it out. I, I would always um, – my high school coach always – you know, before season, the only thing I really did was set goals of what I wanted to accomplish. You know, I wanted to bat 300. Um, never, but you know, never really did. But that was my goal. Uh, you know, I wanted to hit 40 home runs in here. I did that. You know, whatever goal I had for the season, I always set. I sent both. I sent two letters to my brothers, and they would call me. You know, a month, uh, a couple months into the year, and um, you know, they'd be like, "All right, we're on pace here. Let's kick it up." Or, you know, they would always be like uh, my my sixth sense, you know, trying to explain to me, you know, we got to, you know, get the average up or, you know, get your walks up, see the some more pitches and that kind of stuff. But it always helped me out and they would always push me. And that, that's the only goal I really set because you never know in life, man. I, I think 
if you set some goals and you don't get them, uh, you know, you might be disappointed. So for me, I was a goal setter when the season started and uh, whatever came with it was great. Before we let you go, we should talk about a few other things besides Team USA. Uh, you mentioned you, you played for the Mets and the Yankees and you're from Jersey. Yeah, there's there's like a, a, a Mets fans, Yankee fans thing going on right now because the Mets are in first place. The Yankees are scuffling. Uh, how, how would you describe the difference between Mets fans and Yankee fans? Oh, man. Uh, what, a, what a great question. Um, I would start with the Yankees. Uh, you know, they say the big brother. Uh, you know, I, I love playing for the Yankees. I had such a great – even though I played for three months, four months – uh, that was one of the best experiences I've had playing in Major League Baseball. You're set to a standard, you know, with uh, key, you know, little things like shaving and making sure you clean shaving. When you go into that that stadium, you know, I it, they expect greatness out of you, and I think that that's awesome. Um, I think the Yankees will be just fine, you know. You know, with the Mets, we're you know, when I was there, it's like oh, we, you know, we we got to beat the Yankees. We, we got to win a World Series. Um, that kind of stuff. Um, but I had such a blast playing there as well. But it's just the determination of being great. And I think they got the team to do it. Um, I, I know when they're in first place and the Yankees are, they, they got to keep on top of them and keep telling them, listen, we're the best, blah, blah, blah. You got to keep that going because when it does switch, um, then what do you talk about? So, yeah, and apparently there's talk radio in New York too. I've heard some rumors about that. <laughs> oh, that's that's. I mean, that's a whole nother saga. We doing that. Hey, there's got to be a battle in, in everything we do, and uh, that that's a good one too. And then Todd, was there a moment in your career where you started to say, "Wait a minute, this has really changed. This game has really changed." And, you know, as you get older, you start to say, you know, what's happening? Where Where's my future in this and how do I adjust to it? Yeah, I, I think when every reliever that came in was throwing 95 plus and I, that was probably five or six years ago. Um, and it was like, darn, man, where where's that guy that throws 92 that tries to nibble a little bit? I mean, they're out there. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, from a reliever standpoint, um it's very hard to find these guys. They work out even harder in the weight room. They got all these new, you know, techniques that they do, um, you know, and, you know, vice versa as hitters. There were, there are a lot of guys that were doing that launch angle thing, which I think is actually hurting their swing. You know, in my opinion, um, something I'll never do. I'm teaching my kid now, you know, swing down on a ball and get that backspin, you know, and, and he sees on TV, hears everything. I'm like, bud, you know, what we work on and what I worked on in my career was cutting the ball in half and letting that ball sail out of the park so you get that backswing. So um, there's got to be an adjustment made as hitters because these pitchers are just so well and they're throwing to your weakness. And, you know, if you're uppercut and swing and trying to get underneath the ball every time, you know, they're going to throw that ball up and in or down and away. Uh, and they're throwing for strikes. And that that's the biggest thing that I'm seeing. And it's very hard to hit a strike when the ball's – you don't know which way the ball is going to move. It's got four different ways it can go. So, yeah. All right. A, a couple more things before we let you go. Uh, first off, I need to apologize to America, but Todd and I need to talk about something of huge importance to both of us, and that is Syracuse hoops. <laughs> all right, man. Coach Coach K retiring in a year. Do you see any chance that your friend Jim Beheim will follow his lead and retire mm. ever? <laughs> ever. 
So that's a great question. I actually had a good conversation with him a couple of years ago. I was rehabbing in Syracuse and uh, I found a way to, you know, sl- to figure out a way to slither myself to get in there. And he was in there and he's a, he's a, he's a big time baseball player, like a uh, baseball fan, fan. He's a, you know, he liked the Yankees. We talked about the Yankees. We talked about everything. And I asked him when he's going to retire and, you know, he didn't really give me a true answer. You know, he wanted to, he wanted to see how he, you know, watch his kid play. He wanted to coach him throughout um, his career there at Syracuse. I know he's got his other son uh, uh, who's going to wear, I just saw today, he's wearing zero. Um, you know, I saw the numbers. I'm, I'm into it. As, as you know, Stark, uh, I'm into him. And uh, I, I hope, I hope he has, I hope he plays or he coaches and gets those, um, what was it? A hundred wins that he, 82 wins that they let go to him, uh, which was, which was baloney. Um, and, uh, he gets those back and has, you know, four or five more years. You never know. He can, he can break, uh, coach K's record. I think he's got a good shot for sure. He's going to be the only guy to win a thousand games twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at it that way. Exactly. All right. All right. One he more did. thing. That'd, that'd be cool. All right, yeah. One more thing. Now we got to play America's favorite game. Know your Todd Frazier trivia. Hope you're ready for this one, man. You ready? Oh, um, I hope it's, I don't get anything wrong. Here you go. It's, it's multiple choice, okay? Only two uh, men have ever hit 50 career homers for both the White Sox and the Reds. You're one, obviously. So who is the other? Ooh. Is it A, Mike Cameron, B, Adam Dunn, or C, Edwin Encarnacion? Oh man, there could be two. I'm gonna say um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Adam Dunn because Edwin was only there for a year, I think. So I'm gonna go Adam Dunn. You are all over it. Okay, ding, 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 ding. Todd right. Frazier gets question one right. One more question to go. Only three men have ever hit 40 career homers for the Reds and the Mets. You and George Foster are two of them. So is the third one A, Jay Bruce, B, Ray Knight, or C, Art Shamsky? <laughs> Going back in time. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm, I am so evil. <laughs> oh, man. Drop the Art Shamsky. Oh, Jay, Jay, Jay Bruce definitely did it for the Reds. He was with the Mets for a couple of years. I'm going to go with Art Shamsky. I'm just going to go on a limb. Yeah, I tricked you with Art Shamsky because you—it's Jay Bruce. Oh, yeah. Almost had oh, it. Well, you know what? I over—I over—I overthought it. Yeah, that, he does—he does that to me all the time. Baseball player, right there. Yeah, Jay does yeah, that I, to I, me I, all the time yeah. in his trivia. Like, throws I, me off my own answers and stuff. He's—he's he's genius I, at it. I, <laughs> yeah, I lured you into my trivia trap. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> yeah, but that was no great. I, look, it's so much fun talking to you, man. When do you leave for Tokyo? So we have. Um, We'll go down. We're trying to get something figured out for July 1st to be to maybe play in a league with, a, you know, some of the USA guys so we can get, you know, our feet under us again. Right. But uh, I think we leave the, fifth, the 15th. We'll be in Cary, North Carolina, and uh, we'll leave for, for four or five practices, and we're going to leave on the 20th, if I'm not mistaken, to fly out there. Uh, and I'm guessing with all the quarantine restrictions, your, your family probably can't even go, huh? Yeah, no, it's just going to be me, which is a shame. Mm. But, um, yeah, we're going to be uh, hanging out in the villages with all the other athletes and uh, we're probably going to have a good time. You know, we'll, we'll have four or five days to practice and uh, go watch some events. And then it's, 
and we're kind of like the last event there, which is pretty cool. So we can, you know, do as we please at least and hopefully go watch a bunch of things. Uh, well, that'll be special. Uh, look, we won't see you in Tokyo, but hope we get to see you at a big league park or the Carrier Dome or Tom Rivers Starbucks, something or other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, come back anytime and hey, maybe you can come back with a golden medal draped around your neck. Yeah, man. That'll be awesome, man. <laughs> Thank you guys very much. All right, Todd. Todd great to have Take you. Take care. Pleasure. Pleasure, man. Okay, it's that time again. It's time for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Once again, for some reason, we continue to literally involve you by picking the most fun listener trivia question of the week and then inviting you to join us on this podcast live to stump us with your questions. We'll tell you how to do that in just a few minutes, but Doug... Something went amiss this week. We invited our special trivia guest star, uh, an earthling who calls him or herself Sports Fact Lover on Twitter, to join us on the show. And uh, then two things happened. Uh, Sports Fact Lover could not make it. And two, Sports Fact Lover would not reveal their actual name. So should we be taking it personally that Sports Fact Lover doesn't want us to know who the heck they are? Well, you know, I mean, Starkfield does have a witness protection program, so I'm, I, <laughs> we I, need one. I, we're all good. You're safe here. Who protects us when we get these questions <laughs> wrong? <laughs> Nobody. No See, I mean, I'm trying to think of the bright side of this. At least when we get the question wrong this week, there won't be any live <laughs> gloating. So I think that's a plus. <laughs> um, maybe there's a way technologically, once we get it wrong, to black out that portion of the show entirely for sports fact lover. In fact, why don't we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Mayor Tim McMaster, to answer that important question. Tim, is there a way to black out this segment from sports fact lover so they won't know we got it wrong? <laughs> Not only is there no way to do that, but <laughs> as mayor, I uh, it's important for me to keep up the integrity of the trivia. And with that... the <laughs> The great people who come up with these trivia questions deserve to know if you guys got them wrong. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that's true, but integrity is overrated <laughs> in your office. Well, certainly in Major League <laughs> so, Baseball right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And all right, so if I understand this right, uh, we record this podcast and people can then actually hear it. That's how this works. Yes. Yes. That's it's been a, happening for amazing. years. So maybe we're, we're famous. Yeah. Wow. So that. if you're listening, yes. All right, so if you're listening, feel free to tell other people they can listen and gloat, even if sports fact lover isn't here to gloat with them this week. <laughs> uh, so let's get this over with. Uh, since, since sports fact lover is not here, we'll just have Mayor Tim ask the question this week. Tim, what have you got for us, my friend? All right, here you go. From sports fact lover, which is the Twitter handle is love sports facts. If you want to follow them and give them credit for stumping you guys, which I feel like it's probably <laughs> going to happen. But here's the trivia question related to Jacob deGrom's incredible start. Now, he has now made 10 starts this season. This question came in after his ninth start. We're going to stick with the integrity of the question and go back yes. to that point. So Jacob deGrom's 45.4% K percentage in his first nine starts is the best nine starts to start a season ever. But there are four other players who have had a better nine-game span 
that didn't open the season. One of those players is retired. Can you name all four? Okay. And then uh, if I remember the tweet right, it said three of these are obvious. <laughs> well, and yes. The, I, sometimes, fourth- sometimes when you get a hint, it can be helpful and sometimes it can't be out. I think it, that was a right. fair comment, but I know the answer. Okay, so three are obvious, and they said the fourth will shock us. And they went a step so, further by saying that one of the obvious ones is the retired player. Yeah, that, okay, so okay. that's a lot of hints. Yep. Nevertheless, yeah. why do I feel like nothing about this is obvious? Yeah, <laughs> I, Yeah. let me give you an example, Doug. Uh, we'll try to work through this. Um, the quote-unquote obvious retired pitcher. That could be Nolan Ryan, it could be Roger Clemens, it could be Randy Johnson, it could be Pedro, it could be Kerry Wood, right? So if it, I, I'm thinking about this, they're trying to give us a hint. If it's obvious, I feel like I would vote for Nolan Ryan. But are we sure that's right? All right, so let's do this one at a time. What do you? Who do you think the retired obvious pitcher uh, is? Randy Johnson. You know, I mean, that's probably, yeah. Could be. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah could be. great, of course, but yeah, Randy, I don't know. He just had these runs. That, like. he, he, yeah, in, and you know, uh, like 45% strikeout percentages in Randy Johnson's era, they were really unheard of. They're not that heard of now, but okay, Randy Johnson, not, let, let's think about that one. Let's go to the two, quote, obvious active pitchers. Uh, I feel like one almost has to be Shane Bieber, but I don't know. Is that obvious? Nope. And then I started thinking about all the others it could be. Uh, Max Scherzer feels obvious, yep. but what about Gary Cole? Yep. Justin Verlander, mm-hmm. Trevor Bauer. Are they obvious enough for you? <laughs> it's like, I, I, at this point, I almost think I have a better guess on the shocker <laughs> than the obvious guys. So I, like, I'm leaning Bieber and Scherzer, but Doug, what do you think on those two? Oh boy. Um, I have, yeah, I mean, those are good. I mean, Cole Verlander, I had Darvish, Kershaw, you know, they, you know, Kershaw must have had some run in there, right? Where you just struck everybody out. 45% is like, that's a huge run, man. Yeah. Like think about how many hitters you have to strike out a game over nine games yeah. to get to 45% of all the hitters that you face. Yeah. No, I mean, but you know, Kershaw might've had a run like that. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Cole, Verlander, Scherzer, yeah, Bauer, Bauer, and Bieber, right? And Bieber. Yeah. I I I can't even. Oh, I can't, you're not. I can't even. You're gonna be no help, I mean, are you? Um, I mean, well, Cole, remember now. There's supposed to be obvious. Like Flaherty too. What about? Wasn't he like unbelievable second half? Of- not forty-five, but forty-five percent yeah. worth. Like he didn't go up. He, like he was great, but I. I don't think 45% worth. I've done a lot of I've done a lot of research on these strikeout rates. You don't think Scherzer? Remember, he's well, it's supposed to be obvious. Who had the 20? All right, he had 20 whatever. Scherzer had a 20 right. strikeout game. And then did he throw a no-hitter? Like, yeah. The same week. All right, so Clemens, <laughs> Randy Johnson was no-hitter. But we've, we've already done, right. uh, we've already been right, through right, the, right. the retired okay. guys. Yeah, so, all right. Yeah, all right, that's fine. I'll pick, I can you go like, Bieber like and Scherzer. I'll go that. Okay, so Bieber, Scherzer, I'll go with Randy Johnson. So now we have to think of who is the shocker. Now, I was a National League Cy Young voter last year. And because I was, 
I have two guys. I think one of them is the answer. One is Corbin Burns. The other, here, here would be a shocker. Denelson Lame mm. from the Padres. Mm. Uh, look at that guy's numbers. My only worry is, did he actually make nine starts? So why don't we all do right. this? Let's just, let's go. Let's all, right. Let, all right. Well, let's bring back the mayor. I don't have much confidence that we have this right. Uh, we definitely have it surrounded, but all right, Mr. Mayor, any chance it's Randy Johnson, Shane Bieber, Max Scherzer, and Denelson Lamette? No. And I was going to give you guys some clues, but you oh, yeah. didn't get any of them. Oh, so my I don't God. think the clues will literally. We didn't get any? We went over four? Over four. No. No. So chance. I don't think clues oh, are going to help. Um, all right. So the one big clue, and the reason that the stumper and the, the tough one was the tough one, is because that one's kind of a trick question, not a traditional starter. Oh, oh. it's an opener? An opener. Mm-hmm. Which is the clue it's I would like, have given you if you had gotten any of the other three. <laughs> so it's like a it's like a Ryan Stanek kind of guy. All right. So here's the answer: the current obvious pitchers, obvious. Garrett Cole, who you mentioned, right. and Chris Sale, who's also tricky because he's currently hurt, but he's not I, retired. I, th- I thought about yeah. him. Yeah, Chris uh. Sale. So Garrett Cole and Chris Sale. All right. The obvious retired player is Pedro, who you mentioned. All right. Also. All right. Did it during that incredible stretch late in 1999. Uh, and then the tough one is Chad Green of the Yankees, ah, who made nine uh, opening pro- I, in 2019. He was the opener uh, for, a, I think, yeah. 10 games. Is that a starter games. or is that an opener? Can, or, you know. can we play this uh, game under protest, <laughs> yeah. uh, the trivia game? This is I, this may be the toughest <laughs> question you guys have gotten. I, like, I, yeah, great. but I want you to think about this. Right, we have a question in which we're told that three of the four answers are obvious. <laughs> I tried to tell and you. we to, couldn't get any yeah, of them yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, Doug, if you have any more ideas for devious cheating <laughs> schemes, I am now uh, ready to consider that. We brought them. you to the dark side, yes. Uh, all right, whatever. If you listen regularly, you know that whether we get the question right or wrong, we still bring in the mayor to brighten our mood by playing a slice of epic play-by-play one of the answers to our trivia question. So, Mayor Tim, please rescue us now. Thank you. All right. I mentioned Pedro Martinez. So we're going to go back to that specific stretch, late 1999. It actually carried over into 2000 for the nine starts. But September 10th, 1999. I want to protest again. (laughs) (laughs) It may be the best start of Pedro's career at Yankee Stadium against the New York Yankees. Here you go. A lot of the great pitchers have two great pitches, but Pedro gives you three quality pitches. What a nasty pitch that was. Oh, wow. Strike three call, nine strikeouts. Breaking ball, got it. And he strikes out day for the third time. Another strikeout, and that will uh, create a high for Pedro Martinez with 17 strikeouts Man. in 1999. You talk about domination. He allowed only one base hit, a home run by Chili Davis to the second inning, and from that point on, he got mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pedro, he's pretty good. Like You you spliced together a whole montage of uh, descriptions of that one. Was that Tim McCarver doing play-by-play at one point? Yeah, it was Bobby Mercer and Tim Bobby. McCarver yeah. doing the game for the, the wow. local Yankees TV. I couldn't find the Red Sox broadcast for some reason. That's all right. Wow, that was, wow. That was great. You, you know, these, 
These slices of classic play-by-play are turning into the highlight of the trivia segment, uh, where the uh, the trivia itself is turning into the low light of the trivia segment. <laughs> Doug, I don't know where we've gone wrong with trivia, but uh, Mr. Mayor, thank you. Strange but true. Let's move along as quickly as possible to the portion of this program that we really like, the, the, the strange but true segment. Uh, Doug, I have a question for you. Uh, when a guy hits a fair ball over a mm-hmm. fence, what do we call that? Uh, that's a home run. Uh, not so fast. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what poor Key Brian Hayes of the Pirates called it last Tuesday. Uh, this guy's such a talented dude, man. Uh, but he hit a ball over the fence off Walker Bueller of the Dodgers. Why don't we hear what ensued next? It's this hard the other way to stay fair. It is gone and hit the pole. An opposite field home run for Key Brian Hayes. Keep doing it. What? Call a foul? He did miss first. Holy smokes. Yeah. Uh, you know that old long ball expression, touch, touch them all? <laughs> yeah, Key Brian Hayes forgot that piece of handy advice. He missed first base. <laughs> he missed first base at home run. And so, you know what he got out of that? He got an out out of that. Um, and, you know, Doug, like what I do every week is I ask myself, oh, my God, when's the last time that happened? So when you ask the question, when's the last time a guy missed first base in the middle of a home run? That's not easy to answer. But uh, fortunately, on a retro sheet, uh, let me pause here to thank my friends Dave Smith and the late, great David Vincent. Uh, they have this thing called the Lost Home Run Files. Uh, and it just details every home run or ball that should have been a home run that turned out not to be a home run for all kinds of goofy reasons, uh, runners, uh, hitters passing guys in the bases and balls clanking off speakers. But anyway, I, I thought I'm going to go try to find the last time a guy missed first base during a home run. So it took a long time because the, the at least in their files, you know, the last time this happened, 1904, oh. I had to go all the way back <laughs> to 1904. Some guy named Jack Dunn, of the New York Giants, and I don't know what went on in this game, but apparently all hell broke loose because uh, the umpire who called uh, Jack Dunn out for missing first base, there were other complaints. (laughs) So eventually, uh, Jim Johnstone, the umpire, declared a forfeit of the game. Like, I don't need, I I don't know everything that went on, but apparently missing first base was just the half of it. Uh, Also found one in the minor leagues, this is a great one, Doug. Uh, this is in the California League. Uh, uh, this guy named Elmo Plaskett, which sounds yeah, like a made-up name, but yeah, Elmo hits a home run, circles the bases. When he gets to home plate, he realizes he missed first base. So how did he try to fix that? He went back around the bases a second time. <laughs> why not? <laughs> I'll tell you why not. It's not legal <laughs> to do that. He was out. They called him out for doing that. Um, so like the moral of the story is just don't miss first base, but I'm, I'm going to ask you a, a more specific question. 
Have you ever missed a base? You played baseball a long time. I mean, all right. Well, <laughs> definitely not on a home run. Okay, Good. that is for sure. Good. All right. Uh, first of all, every home run I hit, I had to sprint as if it was a double, and so of course I touched the base. Uh, you know, I don't know if I missed. I don't think I missed second or any other time either. But it's, I guess, it's possible somewhere in my professional career. Uh, the thing is, the um, I mean, I did in high school. I realized it took a long time to learn the steps. The steps actually, your your sort of route to the base. You have to really practice that over and over. It's second nature to hit it with your right foot on the inside. That didn't come naturally for me. So I know in high school I missed the base a lot. Really? Uh, and yeah, quite a bit. Even running from home to first. And you got called out for it? If I got called out, I probably did. Yeah, a couple times. I think I recall. Oh, no. I used to have white spikes. I remember. And um, yeah, I, I just <laughs> so it was just it, it. It took time. It's just like learning how to slide. I used to rip my pants and rip my knee open all through a ball, and finally I learned how to slide. I had to practice it. So not it's not necessarily unusual early on in your career somewhere along the road that you're still learning your rhythm of going home to first and the types of turns you take to be efficient. Uh, so that being said, no, I, a home run, I can't imagine. And, and I'm actually okay. curious, uh, how do they score that? Like what if there's oh, I looked. a runner, this yeah, is, runner on second, does he score or what, what happens oh, on that? Uh, if a runner, if there was a runner on second, the runner would be allowed to score. This was a solo homer. So you know how it was scored? It was scored, Key Brian Hayes, flyed out, pitcher to first base. <laughs> fly out 1-3? Oh, I love fly it. Fly out 1-3 because that was the appeal. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I didn't even get into that part of it when I wrote all these words about it. Um, um, oh, gosh. You know, um, like it feels like we need some sort of brilliant innovation to help future runners not miss first base or, oh, yeah. or any other base, really, especially when they hit a ball over the fence. <laughs> so, Doug, you're a creative man. Do you have any brilliant innovations b- bouncing around your head? Oh, absolutely. This is easy. <laughs> well, I'm gonna. It's a tribute to Spider Tack. I figured we have to be consistent on this uh, to prevent this. <laughs> atrocity from happening again so (laughs) you you hire spider-man to be your first base coach and if you miss first he shoots his web at you (laughs) and is allowed to bring you back to the base so that you touch it again and therefore you have no problem i mean mark mcguire missed first base i think on the 70th home run is that right i think it was i believe it was the 62nd right 62nd right yeah yeah, but he realized it he went back but you know in the moment so could you imagine what that would have been? It's record-breaking home run. Okay. So I think Spider-Man is the answer. He can be equipped with Spider-Tack. I always, since I'm a fan of Gorilla Glue, glue now, and don't put it on your hair, by the way, uh, you could have a Gorilla and a Spider. I don't know. Is there a Gorilla superhero like Magilla? Maybe Magilla Gorilla and Spider-Man in first base, and then they all make sure you touch first, and it will never happen again. So wait, if, if Spider-Man... Uh kept you from going to the next base with spider tack. Yes. Would that be doubly illegal? Sounds, yeah, it, oh, sounds it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's complete. Yeah. We need legislation. <laughs> we do. But um, I think that's an exception, a use exception, don't they call it? So okay. yes, we, we will allow it. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, one more thing about this game. So I uh, think about the Walker Bueller portion of this. He gave up a fly ball 
that went over the fence in this game, <laughs> but he still pitched seven <laughs> shutout innings. So you're thinking, wait, is that even mathematically possible? <laughs> it shouldn't be, but it was possible. So this is another one of those things. I need to know these things. So, but in order to know this thing, you know what I had to do? I need help, man. I went through every known instance since 1900 of a hitter hitting a ball over the fence and not getting a home run out of it. And then I had to click on the box score of that game to see what the starting pitcher did. And here's the upshot. Um, I couldn't find any other starting pitcher who gave up a ball that went over the fence and still allowed no runs in that game. It took like an hour. So on one hand, that's kind of fun. On the other hand, what's wrong with me that I needed to spend all that time trying to find that out? Well, what about, and the pitcher got an assist. That's the favorite part of that. He assisted on a ball that went over the fence that wasn't a home run to turn it into an out. He actually gets credit on top of that. And a one three assist. I love it. That's 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 beautiful. It, it is beautiful. All right, you're just going to ignore the part about what's wrong with me. That's just as well. It really is. So that's going to do it for another fabulous edition of Starkville. You know, you can find us every Tuesday right here in our new home on the Athletic Baseball Show. You know what you can find on that show on Mondays? You get Ken Rosenthal's mailbag. Lots of good info there. Thursday, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. They're as fun as you would expect them to be. Fridays, Keith Law and DVR, Derek Van Riper. Just, you learn stuff. Okay, so all these shows are fantastic. I recommend that you check them out. And you know where you can check them out? You can find them absolutely free everywhere you get your podcasts. So you can subscribe. And you can follow our show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever else you would get your podcasts. Not to mention, ad-free at The Athletic and The Athletic app. Uh, And if you'd like to read our work or any of the tremendous writing on our site, especially about missed bases and spider tack, there's no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you've ever thought about subscribing... We have a tremendous special going. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you can subscribe for just $3.99 a month. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. You just have to submit the most fun trivia question of the week and we will invite you to join us live right here to prove there's almost no baseball trivia question even the obvious ones, that we can't get wrong. So to do that, you can submit your question via email at starkvilleattheathletic.com or you can do what most people do. Hit us up on Twitter to hit up Doug Glanville. Doug, what would someone do? Yeah, pretty easy. Twitter at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. And you can find me at JasonST. Remember, that's J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Remember to hashtag the questions, hashtag StarkvilleQS. And remember, when other people ask the questions, don't answer them. We had another outbreak of that this week, Doug. It's not good. (laughs) So 
Everyone, thanks for playing. Thanks to Todd Frazier for regaling us. Thanks to Sports Fact Lover, the mysterious Sports Fact Lover, for the not-that-obvious trivia question. Thanks to our mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. And Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville. Starkville.